I, I love the conversation of generosity. And I love the conversation of generosity with our church. I mean, because this is just who we are. I mean, when I came into the conversation with Northview and, and I just started to learn of the legacy and the heritage that is Northview, the radical generosity that has marked this church's history is second to none. And so much of today's message and much of this series for many of you is going to be an affirmation. Much of this is going to be a, a pat on the back and an encouragement, a, a well done, you're, you're doing it. And for others of you, it may not be an affirmation, but it may be an invitation. Hey, maybe there's a, a part of this life with Christ you've yet to experience. And maybe if you lean into this area, you might experience God do something profound in and through your life. You know, something I poke on often and something I'm really passionate about is each of every one of us, our individual development. That is discipleship. It's saying, hey, we're all doing the hard work internally and we are leaning into God's activity in our life and we are trying to apply his principles and his standards also that we can reflect Christ in the world. And, and so we're, we're developing and God is hyper attentive to our development. In fact, I always make a, an attempt to point out God's preferences that God is far more concerned with our character and our conduct than he is with our comfort and convenience. And so sometimes God will, will stretch us and challenge us because he's creating a substance within us, a strength, a posture, a stature, a righteousness. And so in this series, my, my question for you is, would you open your mind and would you open your heart to what God seeks to do in your life as he develops your character? into a godly individual for Christ. Now, if you go through scripture, you'll find that God places a big emphasis on character development. And what you find is there are all these attributes that are assigned to godly people and godly living. But what you find is throughout scripture, three attributes rise above the rest. In fact, you could you know, make a point to say that all the attributes flow into these three primary attributes. I, I've come to call them the tripod of godly character. And here's what I would say the tripod of godly character is. Integrity, humility, and generosity. For, the, for those of us who are raising children, I mean, this is a great place to start. Integrity, humility, and generosity. This is the tripod of godly character. And here's the deal. Every single one of us has to you know, courageously lean into these areas and ask the question, am I light? Am I coming up short in any one of these areas? Because here's the deal. If you're coming up short in any of these areas, you are going to find that your faith in life is a little wobbly. You ever sat at a wobbly table? Isn't it frustrating every time you move, the, the table shakes? And, and what do you have to do while sitting at the restaurant? Yeah, napkins or a pack of sugar and you have to fold it and put it under the leg all to get the, the table to stop wobbling. And sometimes I feel that as we gather, you can, you can sense the instability in some people's lives. And I sometimes get the sense that some have shown up hoping I would just shove a sugar packet under one leg in their life to provide some stability. But here's what really makes a difference. 
It's flipping the table upside down to address the weak leg. And I think the people who grow in their faith, they just flip the table upside down. Hey, let's address whatever leg, and so if it's integrity, you should look into that. If it's humility, you should look into that. If it's generosity, you should look into that. Because without these three pillars in our life, it is hard to live a stable life of faith. Anyone know some unstable folks? You're afraid to raise your hand because you're sitting next to them? That's no judgment, life is hard. We're all trying to figure it out together. We know unstable people. What's hard for us is recognizing the instability in our own lives. But just know, if you are bumping into some instability, or maybe you witness it in others, I'm guessing you could trace it to these three areas. This is a profound thing that's, hey, these are how God wants to build my character. And generosity is essential to not only our church, Generosity is central to the church. Generosity is central to Christianity. In fact, I would make this statement. This is one you write down, you go home and you think about it, pray about it. Is that true? Do I believe in that? Without generosity, there would be no Christianity. Think about it. Without generosity, there would be no Christianity. I mean, if you think about our story, you remove generosity from it, and you and I are left without a faith. I mean, what is the cornerstone verse of our faith? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son without this act of generosity. I mean, without this, there is no salvation for the world. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Without generosity, there would be no Christianity. So to live a life without generosity is fundamentally unchristian. And so it's opening our hearts and our minds to say, hey, God, is there something that you need to shape in and through my life? And I find this fascinating about God. Have you ever been amazed by how generous God is? I mean, if you're taking scripture from cover to cover, one of the first things we discover about our God is, whoa, this guy is generous. I mean, think of the whole creation story. I mean, mankind doesn't show up until day six. Up until that point, God is setting the stage. He's getting everything right. He's putting the mountains in place and the oceans in place. He's hanging some stars and the moon and the sun. He is establishing all of it. Some dolphins and give me some birds of the air. I'll need a bald eagle out there and give me a cool octopus. He is not sparing anything or cutting a corner. He is going all out and he is setting the stage for what? A wedding. Oh man, scripture, it starts with a wedding. You open up and it's God setting the stage for humanity's first wedding. It's beautiful. And he doesn't cut a corner. He is so generous right off the bat to humanity. He could have put these two on a ball of dust, but instead he put color to it. And he is so open-handed. And when you and I live generous lives, we reflect him. 
When we live generous lives, I think it gets heaven's attention. And I think our heavenly father smiles down upon us the same we smile upon our children in which he says, now that's my kid. He gets it. She gets it. And they are tasting and participating in the joy that I share. I love this. And what scripture also tells us is, you know, this idea when it comes to generosity, that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now watch this. Because each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not what you've been manipulated to give, not what you've been pressured to give, not what you have been emotionally conjured up to give. No, 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 no. Be a wise steward of your finances. Be someone who applies reason to your decisions. Each one of you should decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly, no, we're not that kind of church, not under compulsion, again, no, 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 no. We're not that kind of church. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Now watch these statements. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, that's a lot of all. All things, at all times, having all that you need. It's hard to get your mind around all the ways in which God wants to work in your life. Do not limit his ability to work in your life. Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So there's two words here, abundant and abound. And you find this all throughout scripture. Jesus came so that you and I would experience abundant life. But he also came so that you and I would experience an abounding life. Now, those are the two words you write down and you go home and you, and you get your dictionary out and you get your thesaurus out and you just stare at those two concepts. What does it mean to live an abundant life? And what does it mean to live an abounding life? And I'm telling you, what God is doing is he's, in, he's extending an invitation to us. There's a life that is abundant and abounding and your generosity triggers it. This is fascinating stuff. And here's what I'm convinced of. Generosity is a genius way to live. It's genius. In fact, I love the generosity conversation because it's always comical to me. Some people hate it and some people love it. Now at a church like Northview, majority, I mean, this is like serving up red meat. People love this conversation around our church because we're a generous church. People have tasted firsthand, this is brilliant. This is so fun. And in my experience as a pastor, the only people I find complaining about the giving conversation are those who don't give. And so you just owe it to yourself to find someone in your life or someone in your row or someone in your group who gives and just ask them. Don't take my word for it, I get it. You think, oh, the pastor, of course, I, I get the objections. Ask someone seated next to you, why do you give? What has been your experience? And what you're gonna find is they're gonna share with you an experience and God's faithfulness in response to generosity and they're gonna share something along the lines of it's brilliant and God is good. I mean, this is a genius way of living. It not only heals the world, what God does through our generosity to have an impact and to bring about hopeful change, it's, it's amazing. It not only heals our world, it guards our heart. 
Here's what you have to understand about generosity. Generosity is the remedy to greed. But you don't wanna struggle with that? Come on, church, we all struggle with greed. And this is not a, a judgment. It's an invitation to say, is there an area of my life that I could look into with God? And no, he's gentle and he's merciful, but he is also intentional to develop the spiritual giant that's lying dormant within every one of us. I mean, think of the things that we say we need. We have a hard time distinguishing needs from greeds. And what generosity does is it, it fends off the things that are trying to hijack our purpose and grip our hearts and grip our identity, and it's a genius way of living. And what I love about it is generosity has marked Christianity from day one. I mean, and we would not be here today. Think about it. We would not be here today without radical, I mean audacious, bold, heroic acts of generosity. I mean, think about it. What did it take for Christianity to reach central Indiana? I mean, this was sparked in an undeveloped time of history. Small group of people, no wealth, no power. I mean, they were fragmented. And initially, they were small in size. They didn't have the backing of the political powers. They did not have the backing of the religious powers. But what they had was a faith in a resurrected Savior and a commitment to share this good news and their lives with anyone they would come in contact with. I mean, think about it. What did it take for God's word to jump an ocean also that you and I could experience his goodness? Throughout human history, people who call upon the name of Jesus have been making heroic decisions of generosity that continue to move this movement forward. Amen. I mean, just think of the Bible. Anyone just love your Bible? I'm just, oh, I'm such a geek over the Bible. It is amazing to me. And don't you feel blessed? Like you can go to a store right now and you can just today go pick up a Bible in any translation that you want. I mean, think about how many Bibles you have at your house. Some you study, some you maybe bring to church or a small group, some you just use as a decoration. This is how blessed we are. Come on, no one puts a Bible in their entryway. That's not where you study. That's there for decoration. Come on, I'm poking fun, but we are on the side of history. We're so blessed. But there was a time in history where scripture was in only one language and it was in Latin and it was illegal. Think about this. It was illegal to interpret the Bible. And there was a man by the name of John Wycliffe who just had this conviction that the common individual should have access to God's word. People like you and I, common individuals who have access to God's word. So he risked his life and he trained other people as to how to translate the Bible. And they would hide out in caves and it would take them nine to 12 months to interpret one copy of the Bible. And they would risk their lives in dim lit caves all so that you and I could be on this side of history holding on to God's word in our language. It is outstanding. Amen. 
I mean the heroic acts. This is our movement. This is the history that we get to be a part of. And what you find is all throughout history. I mean, do your own academic research. Don't just take my word for it. Be a student of this stuff. Go home and buy a book and get online and actually look at credible sources. And if they don't have footnotes in their writing, it's all opinions. Like actually look at the the data that's out there. There is no organization, no movement in human history that has accomplished and brought about greater good than the local church on every continent around the globe. There is no comparison. Now, no doubt about it, we are still a movement made up of humans and we have some shortcomings and some blind spots and we've made some errors throughout human history and we need to accept that and acknowledge it because if we don't, we'll develop blind spots and we'll repeat history. But when you look at the impact of the local church. I mean, just look at what the local church did in the education system. I mean, from day one, Christianity was a driving force behind education around the world. In addition to that, Christianity was the driving force behind the science community. There's this terrible tagline or talking point that people love to quote as if to say, science and you know, Christianity are incompatible. It's a bogus talking point. It's something that doesn't come with any research. All the founding fathers of science were believers. And the science community was driven by faith-filled people who were curious about the creation and the creator we serve. And so science was advanced by the Christian community. The medical field advanced by the Christian community and the rights of individuals, women and children and people from every walk of life advanced by the Christian community. I mean, if we're anything, we are a generous family. I mean, if you take a bite out of the church, the one thing you should taste is generosity. Anyone have a mom who cooked with one ingredient more than the others? My mom cooked with a lot of salt. So every time you take a bite, no matter what you were eating, you tasted salt. And um, I just think if you take a bite out of the church, it's faith and generosity that you should taste every single time. And don't you just find yourself inspired? Wait a second, I love hearing what other people did. Now we get to be a part. Now we get to carry the baton forward. And here's what I discovered in scripture. God tends to be the clearest in the areas we find to be the hardest. You ever discovered that to be annoying? God is crystal clear in the areas that we find to be the hardest. Specifics make things uncomfortable. I've used this example a couple times and Christians like, baby, you have to retire it after this weekend. You can't say it anymore. But if I were to say, I like to go to the mall to watch people. Many of you would think, yeah, me too. People are fascinating. I love people watching. Wave at me if you love people watching. Yeah, you ever go to like the fair? It's like, my goodness, the breeds of people that are out here. (laughs) It is socially acceptable to say, I like people watching. But if I say, I like to go to the mall to watch one person. (laughs) The specific makes it uncomfortable. Suddenly I go from like common to like a stalker. 
And I think sometimes God puts a specific to things and it makes us uncomfortable. But come on, we're a community of faith that is after substance and godliness in the world. We lean into the tension. We don't shrug it off, right? We're not here building budgets. We're here building Christians. We're not here building programs. We're here building people. So we lean into conversations like this. God, what do you wanna do in my life? And so he says, hey, you should understand this whole sowing and reaping thing. This is part of having an open mind. Think about what scripture is saying. And here's what I've discovered and here's what the Bible's pointing at. People who don't give strategically and systematically end up giving sparingly and sporadically. And I love this. You know, Jesus was so brutally honest. I mean, he was not a salesman. He wasn't trying to trick anybody. He wasn't trying to get anyone to make an impulsive decision. He wasn't trying to manipulate someone emotionally. He didn't trick anybody. If anything, he was brutally honest. People would come and they'd see his miracles, they'd hear his teachings, and they'd be like, oh my goodness, I wanna follow you. And he'd be like, I'd, I'd think about it first. In fact, Jesus would say, hey, before you follow me, you should count the cost. That was his statement. Hey, make a plan. Think about this before you commit to it. Because once you commit, I don't want you to quit. He would say, who builds a tower without adequate resources and blueprints. That was one of his examples. He would say, hey, who goes into war without a strong military strategy? That was another one of his examples. And, and I think a lot of times we just emotionally and impulsively jump into matters of the faith rather than reasonably thinking through, what is my strategy here? And what am I gonna put in place also I can be successful as a follower of Christ? You have to be systematic and you have to be strategic because godly living, it doesn't happen by accident. Nothing worthwhile happens by accident. You don't put your marriage in neutral and wake up seven years later like, whoa, we have a great marriage. I have no idea how that happened. You don't put parenting in neutral for 18 years and suddenly look at a young adult and be like, I have no idea how I raised a remarkable child. No, worthwhile things, they take effort. They don't happen by accident. So you have to be strategic. And here's the case. Those who are not strategic in their faith become lethargic in their faith. What happens is, is because we don't systematically and strategically approach our faith, we never harness the full momentum and activity of God at work in our life. And our inconsistency in the faith creates frustrations. And it comes with a, a lethargic feeling where you're just slugging it out. And again, I just think if you were to lean into these areas, you'd find God do some amazing things. Now, week one, wife set out, this, is, this sermon is called Open Mind. My job is to teach the Bible. If I, if I don't do that, I'm a lousy pastor. Now, there's a lot of worldviews out there and there's a lot of different philosophies and you can go dabble in all that. But if you show up to a place like this, my job is to teach you a biblical worldview and how we as followers of Christ view the world and approach this life. Amen. So this is just information for you. You decide what you're gonna do with it, but if you're gonna be a student of the Bible, at least walk away knowing this is what the Bible puts before me. Scripture speaks a great deal about generosity. 
And ultimately, everything it says about generosity flows into three categories of giving. And here they are. The first is priority giving. This is the whole heart behind our series first. God wants to be first in and through our lives. He wants to be the priority and preeminent, which is why I am convinced you cannot separate your faith from your finances. And here's why. Because every spending decision is a spiritual decision. These points are at the bottom of your page. I had to send this stuff to print months in advance and I tinker up until the last minute. So those are at the bottom of your page. But priority giving. Is God first in your life? Every spending decision is a spiritual decision, meaning every time you make an expense before God, it reveals the theology of your heart. It was Billy Graham who once said, the greatest theological textbook in an individual's home is their checkbook. It just, it reveals what they believe. So there's priority given. I remember a time I was on the playground growing up, probably third or fourth grade. At the time, I'm wearing a button-up, and I'm on the playground. I'm about to go down the slide. And my buddy Tyrone stops me. He says, hey, your shirt's a mess. I was wearing a button-up that day, and come to find out, I'd, I'd missed some buttons. Tyrone had a lot more swagger than I did at the time. And so he starts fixing my shirt. I'm trying to go down the slide, and he's unbuttoning my shirt, and then he says to me, if you get the top one in first, the rest fall in line. This kid was like a little Yoda. I'm like, man, that is brilliant. 30-some years later, I get dressed in the morning, and I think of Tyrone. If you get the top one in, the rest fall into place. And some of you, you think you're buttoned up and you look right. But I'm telling you, if God is not first, you're out of line as a follower of Christ. He is preeminent. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He paid the ultimate price on our behalf. He gave it all for us. It is without a doubt appropriate for us to give it all back to him. He's a big deal. In addition to that, I love this one. Scripture speaks a great deal about percentage given. Now again, you gotta choose what you're gonna do with this. You gotta choose what you're gonna make of the Bible. But this is all throughout scripture. There is this concept, and if you're new to Christianity, this may be news to you. There's this concept called the tithe, which represents a tenth. Now there's some objections to this, and some of them I, I think come with the right heart. People trying to understand, I think they're curious. Some will say, well, the tithe was a part of the Old Testament law. And Jesus came and he fulfilled the law so we are no longer under this oppressive standard. And that's just, well, it's just not the case. What you find is in the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I mean, Cain, Abel, what you find in the book of Genesis long before the law was established through Moses, people were tithing. Before they were even told by God to do so, they were intuitive. This is what I love about people at Northview. They don't have to be told to do certain things. They're, they're just, they're intuitive in their faith. And it's a, it's a mark of spiritual maturity. And so you find that there's this tithe represented all throughout the Old Testament. And then you find it in the New Testament. Now, some will say, well, why didn't Jesus speak more about the tithe 
in the New Testament. There are clear examples of him affirming it, but why didn't he endorse, endorse it stronger? And here's the reason why. When your plan is to show up and give 100%, you don't waste a lot of time talking about giving 10%. I mean, you look at his messaging, it's like, I'm giving it all. I'm not here to talk about 10%. I'm here to talk about giving 100%. Grace overwhelms the law, essentially. And what is fascinating is all throughout Scripture, you find this, this, this tithe concept playing out. In fact, it plays out in ways that weird us out. If you're new to the Bible, do not start in the book of Genesis. You're gonna get freaked out right away. You have to, I would suggest, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the books that are about the life, the ministry, the teachings, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because every verse in scripture, every book, it points to Jesus and must be interpreted through the filter of Jesus. And so much of what you read in the Old Testament is a, it's a shadow, it's a foretelling. It's, it's say, something's to come and it kind of looks and feels like this. And so all throughout scripture, this tithe was applied to what you see as the firstborn and first fruits. Again, you, you should just know these things. And so the tithe was when they would raise crops and they would raise livestock, they would give of their firstborn and the first fruits. They'd give their first and they'd give their best. And so you see this all throughout scripture and in the Old Testament, it's kind of uncomfortable. But then comes the New Testament where our savior marches to a cross and here's the thing that most people overlook, but this is such a profound truth that is right before us. On the cross, what you witness is our heavenly father tithing. Think about this. All throughout scripture, the principle of the firstborn and the first fruits, and on the cross, our God gives his first and his best. In fact, he gives all of him. I mean, this is a game changer. When you see that scripture hones its focus on the radical generosity of our God, you just can't help but be like, oh my goodness, I wanna live as a reflection of that. The cross is mind-boggling and you cannot understand it if you do not view it through the lens of radical generosity. So there is priority given, there's percentage given. And then lastly, there is progressive giving. So what you're gonna find in the Bible is there's gonna be this statement, tithes and offerings. Yeah, there you go, some of you got it. And you'll see that statement. Now here's what you have to understand, and this is how scripture teaches it. The 10% goes to the local church to advance God's plan A. This is how scripture lays it out. And then anything above that 10% is what scripture calls an offering. You should just know how it's teaching you, okay? So what that would mean is it's not an offering until it's above 10%. This tithe, it belongs to God. And what you discover over time is you truly cannot outlive God. And what is initially daunting, I gotta make him first and now I'm gonna give him 10%. And what I've discovered in my life is I would much rather have God's help with me stewarding 90% than to try to do it on my own stewarding 100%. God, I just need your activity in my life. 
But what you find is you settle into it and before you know it, you feel the impulse, oh, I'm, I can do more for the cause of Christ. And, and I get it. Hey, this is, this is one of those things that creates a growth opportunity for every single one of us. Again, for some, it's an affirmation. For others, it's an invitation. But can you imagine what would take place if every single one of us leaned in to the call of God on our lives in this area? And here's what's crazy. For some of you, you look at this, priority giving, percentage giving, progressive giving, and you think to yourself, no way. I don't even know how that's possible. But here's the thing. These people actually exist. The other day I was at the gym and I was watching ESPN and they're talking about some upcoming events and one of them was some UFC fights. And I'm watching these highlights of these fighters about to duke it out in the octagon. And I'm thinking to myself, UFC fighters actually exist. Like, I don't know a single person in my life who is actually courageous enough to get in the octagon and fight that way. These men are nuts. These women are nuts, but they do it, and it's, it's sport. They actually exist. I think to myself, have I bumped into, like, I better watch the eye contact I'm making with people at Walmart, because I might bump into one of these guys. They're, they're really out there. And I say that because sometimes... We, we hear stuff like this and we're quick to dismiss it as if it's unrealistic. But seated among you at all of our campuses are these kind of people. I mean, Northview is, I mean, stacked with individuals like this. And if you're new to Northview, which I'm a part of that group, you should just know what I've discovered is you are seated next to some of the most remarkable, godly, Christ-centered, generous people you will ever meet. And here's my, my question for you. And here's something that, again, as we open our minds, just consider this question. What kind of church would we have if everybody patterned their giving after yours? What kind of church would we have if everybody patterned their giving after yours. Now, some of you, I mean, you wanna stand to your feet and applaud because you think to yourself, if everybody patterned their giving after mine, we'd be debt-free tomorrow. We'd be planting new campuses. We'd be giving millions to missions. We'd be putting sports facilities on all these properties, reaching out to our community. If everybody gave like I gave, we would change the world. While others of you, you would think to yourself, well, if everyone gave like me, our church wouldn't exist. And that's a question that we have to courageously lean into. But can you imagine? Here's another thing I want you to pray about, especially if you're new to Northview. Would you consider doing for others what others have already done for you. Would you consider doing for others what others have already done for you? W weren't you amazed when you first showed up to Northview? Like you walked in, you're like, 
They prepared all of this so me and my family can show up and my kids can have a great experience and, and look at the environments and look at the curriculum and look at the events and all the opportunities and look at the people giving up their time and their talent. People are picking up the bill and paying the tab so my family could just walk in and discover a Jesus Christ who split the skies. And here's the thing, you may never meet the people. You may never know to thank them by name. But there are people who made significant sacrifices. So you and I, as the new family members of this team, can show up and experience a life-giving church. That's amazing. Would you consider doing for others what others have already done for you? And church, I gotta tell you, the number one reason why my family now lives in Indiana is this nagging awareness, this unavoidable impression upon our heart that God's gonna do something in this church and God's about to usher in a great awakening within our nation. Amen. And this church is gonna be at the center of it all. I remember when I first received the phone call, we had, had no plans to leave Minnesota, loved Minnesota, loved our church. We were blessed and we started making the statements, I will never leave, <laughs> which I need to adjust how I pray. Because it's only when I say the word never that I seem to consistently get the attention of heaven. <laughs> I'm just gonna start including that. Bought the house of our dreams. Like we thought we were set. We would joke with our kids, you're gonna bury us in the backyard. We're here forever. And then God had other plans. And this really precious and fulfilling season was started and conversations with Pastor Steve and Sandy and my elders in Minnesota with the elders here at Northview, it became this really rewarding season. And the entire time, all Chris and I could think about is my goodness, that church is positioned, poised, unified, healthy, and strong. That church, whether we're a part of it or not, that church is gonna change the world. And if God would be so gracious to extend us the invitation, we'd say yes. Anyone ever had to move for work? Maybe you had to relocate to a different state? Starting over is hard. I, I mean, it's just, it's hard to do it. You don't know anybody. You don't have any relational equity. No one credits you trust. That's something you have to earn. You have to figure out a whole new rhythm for life. You have a couple kids with medical issues. All right, who's the doctors? What's the program? What are the sports teams? Where are they gonna go to school? Get outbidded multiple times on a house. Okay, 18 months in a townhome. Let's just figure it out. But I say all that, not in any way, to invoke your sympathy. Don't you dare feel bad for me. God has been gracious in extending this privilege to me. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm looking for synergy. Because church, what I can say confidently is our family is all in. 
We have uprooted our entire lives to say yes to this moment and to be a part of this church. And can you imagine what would happen if we all just said, I'm going all in for God. He went all in for me. What would happen in our church, amen?